Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Bucciolato. Robert, uh, great to have you back. And in the next few weeks, this is 2022, a gubernatorial election year, and it's October of 2022. So we're going to be looking back at some of the gubernatorial elections of the past, the, the turning points in Florida history. And uh, we've covered a lot of these elections in the past, but kind of as uh, parts of larger conversations, right? So uh, the first election we want to look at is 1952. And Robert, you have written a book about Dan McCarty, the winner of the 1952 election, and, and we want to get into that topic today. Uh, we'll cover 1966, 1970, uh, probably 1998 also in this series. Uh, but uh, Robert, let's start with 1952 and the big win for Dan McCarty, which was a massive change in terms of the type of governor elected in the state of Florida. Granted, McCarty was a Democrat like his predecessor, Fuller Warren, and like uh, every governor since the 1870s, but a very different kind of Democrat than had been elected to the governorship, gubernatorial office uh, in the past. And obviously, McCarty had run in 48, had lost in a very, uh, very polarizing contest against Warren, but was back in 52. Yeah, so um, first off, you, uh, you, the, you're probably the best friend my little book has because uh, <laughs> you're always so very generous with it. Thank you. Um, no problem. Um, but yeah, no, uh, that was absolutely the, the situation. It used to be um, you would run once, you'd get clobbered, but you'd make a name for yourself and then you'd go on and you would win. And traditionally, the runoff was almost a foregone conclusion every once in a while. It was sort of a wild card. And, you know, but for the most part, the person that won the primary would go on and run the, win the, the runoff. That, as we've discussed, was not going to be the case in the 1970s, uh, particularly with Askew and, and Bob Graham. But at the time, that was pretty much standard operating procedure. And as we discussed earlier on the show, Dan McCarty did uh, that race in 1948, was a huge surprise hit on, uh, in, in the Hastings. And even though he got defeated by a very well-financed Fuller Warren, as we discussed, Fuller Warren really mortgaged to the hilt the office of governor. So by the time he came in, there really wasn't much of anything that he could do that you would say was substantive. As a result, the, the stock in Fuller Warren began to decline, and everybody kept looking by comparison at Dan McCarty and thinking, wow, this, this guy, we really let the right one go. You know, We didn't know how good we had it. And so he kind of became this shadow governor. Uh, the reason why I mention all of this is because... Basically, by the time the race started to kind of get going, there were some early entries. Uh, Shams, uh, the namesake of the, I would say, world-famous hospital, Shams in Gainesville. Yeah. He had, already, he had already entered. There was talk about the Supreme Court Justice um, Alton Adams running. And... 
people were all basically saying, you know, oh God, I think Dan's going to run. I think Dan's going to run. No, he's not going to run. He's going to sit this out. You know, people were saying, ah, oh, maybe he'll go to Congress, you know. So everybody was kind of waiting to see what Dan McCarty was going to do. And Dan McCarty was actually basically already running for governor. He'd been running for about four years. But the first thing that he wanted to do was he wanted to do what, what all conquerors do, and that is win your home and then go out and conquer. And he got universal support four years earlier in the Fort Pierce area, which is where he was from. But he was worried because um, Alton Adams also came from that area. Yeah. So there was a lot of uh, politicking, uh, you know, going sort of, you know, room by room, trying to smooth any hard feelings and, and you know, basically explain how, you know, Alton basically wasn't going to be able to do anything, but steal the nomination from him by he, splitting the homestead vote. Yeah, so let me mention, Adams was an arch-conservative. Uh, he had been very close. Uh, he resigns in 1951, right? And he had been very close to Governor Fred Cohn, who was a uh, a reactionary conservative. Uh, in my opinion, one of the worst governors in Florida history, anti-New Dealer, uh, Democrat, right? Everyone was a Democrat then in Florida, although that's beginning to change. Um, 1952 is the first election where we see some Republican elements uh, in the state, particularly in Pinellas County. And as uh, the years would go on, the 1950s would go on, in the early 1960s, you begin to see growth of Republican support in Palm Beach and Broward counties in South Florida, Brevard County, uh, as the space program explodes, right? Brevard County is an insignificant place in 1950. By uh, 1960, it's hopping, and by 1969, it's one of the most important places in America, right? Um, with with uh, Cape Canaveral being there and, and the space program being largely based around uh, that area. Uh, and then you see some elements of, of republicanism in Orange County also uh, in that period. But still a heavily democratic state, overwhelmingly democratic state. These, these fights between left, right, center, whatever you want to call ideologically, are being fought within the Democratic Party and within Democratic primaries. The state's changing uh, at this point. So Adams goes back to Fort Pierce, uh, which is also McCarty's hometown, right? So you have two guys who are from uh, what we call now the Treasure Coast, but is recognized as South Florida at the time. The culturally uh, is very similar to um, the area south of there. It's still kind of southern, but very um, much more. Uh, there's, a, there's an urban element developing. Uh, there's a, a, a much more uh, forward-looking perspective in, in places uh, in southern Florida. But Adams ends up not being the biggest threat to McCarty. It ends up becoming Braley Odom, who's from Seminole County, colorful, flamboyant figure uh, within the Democratic Party. And, and Odom becomes really the first serious a gubernatorial candidate from Central Florida. So you had the first serious gubernatorial candidate from what we now consider Central Florida. There hadn't been a governor from that area. I mean, there had been governors from Polk County, right? Uh, and and uh, there had been uh, uh, 
serious candidates from the agricultural areas in kind of what we would consider central southwest Florida now, right? The Polk County, Highlands County area, but never one from from the Orlando area, what we, we call the Orlando area now. Uh, so he's the first of that. McCarty will be the first governor from South Florida. And there had not been a serious gubernatorial candidate from South Florida outside of Cap Graham, right? Uh, the, uh, the father of, of, of Governor Bob Graham, uh, grandfather of, uh, of Congresswoman Gwen Graham. Uh, he was the first serious, serious gubernatorial candidate from the Miami area. And of course, he loses in the Democratic primary, I believe, in 1936. Uh, but yeah, Odom against McCarty. Is is really the uh, the fight in the Democratic for the Democratic nomination in 1952, which is tantamount to winning the governorship at this time in Florida. Yeah, that that was the first time ever where you had a situation where the entire primary was really being dominated from two South Floridians. Now we say, you know, as you mentioned, we say South Floridians nowadays. You know, both men would probably be considered central Floridians. Um, but at the time, there was, you know, there, it was considered South Florida because North Florida basically dominated everything. Most of the governors uh, that were elected, I think there was only about one or two um, carpetbaggers that were from the Tampa area. Yeah, Ocean B. Hart uh, was... Uh Clarkbagger, right? He was from the north, but he, he had settled in the Tampa area. And I guess Spessard Holland, as I mentioned, Polk County had elected governors. Uh, he was from Bartow, but that is a very different than Seminole County. It still is very different than Seminole County, uh, even in, in modern Florida. And uh, certainly very different than, than Cap Graham being from Miami or, or uh, Dan McCarty being from Fort Pierce. Yeah, that, that was it. Uh, which nowadays it's it's hysterical because the people that were that are in the Dan McCarty camp in Fort you know Fort Pierce they'll say he was the first Southerner at Bob Graham when I was in a car with him and we were going somewhere he he made it absolutely clear to me that he was the first Florida governor from South Florida. Yeah, our view of what South Florida has changed because I recently had a conversation with someone. Uh, maybe it's now been a few years, but they told me Robert King High. This is someone very prominent, by the way, in, in Democratic politics, actually national Democratic politics. Uh, told me, well, the first uh, the first time the South Florida ever nominated a candidate for governor in the Democratic primary was Robert King High in 1966. We're, we're going to talk about that election, uh, I think, next week. But um, that's not true, right? Uh, Robert King High was the first identifiable out-and-out -out liberal. Um, by national standards that the Democrats ever nominated in Florida, right? I mean, there's no question, uh, well, obviously, for, for governor, right? U.S. Senate, you had Claude Pepper, um, who also ended up settling in Miami and by this time is a, is a uh, congressman and a big supporter of, of Mayor Robert King High. Um, we're going to get to uh, High next week, so let, let's save it. But uh, Dan McCarty, in fact, was from South Florida, and Fort Pierce was identifiably part of South Florida at the time, and I would argue probably still is today. Honestly, um, I would say the line between South and Central Florida is approximately on the East Coast at Vero Beach. Uh, I do not consider Fort Pierce part of Central Florida. I guess everything's relative in Florida. You know, why not? Why not? But um, yeah, so it was it was really that situation where we were, uh, 
you know, because you and me, we basically, before we start the show, we basically do a, a debrief and we sort of map out what we want to talk about. And we were sort of struck by the similarities between uh, Dan McCarty's campaign and a lot of the, the sort of standard bearers that you would see in most Democratic primaries. And then when we talk about Odin, the sort of gimmicky nature of a dark horse candidate that would go on to pay rich dividends in the form of, you know, Walken Lawton and Bob Graham's work days. But it was really, a, it was a, a precursor in a way to that sort of combative camps attacking one another and running for the same position that would go on really until Lawton Childs died in the 1990s. Yeah, Odom is really interesting to me just from a historical standpoint, Robert. Uh, it's not much talked about him, but uh, not only is he the first candidate from, from the Orlando area, right? What we call the Orlando area today, Seminole County. But uh, he's the first candidate uh, to really use these gimmicks on the campaign trail um, using radio and, and what we would call mass media, uh, understanding um, – that there are actually some television sets in the state, not many in 1952, but they're, they're, they're not, it's going to play more of a role in 54, right? Uh, and the, uh, the debate moderated by Ralph Rennick uh, for the Miami media market by, uh, between Charlie Johns and, and Leroy Collins. But uh, Odom is really, to me, very interesting because he creates um, a vibe around mass media and around gimmickry using mass media. There's always been gimmickry and politics, but this is using um, radio, which is a medium that had been mastered by Franklin Roosevelt um, at the national level uh, just a decade or two earlier and really mounts an effective campaign in the Democratic primary as a result. And I should mention Odom, he, he gets beat badly in the primary. McCarty's leading by a big margin, but he comes back in the runoff and almost takes the runoff. He consolidates the support of most of the people who voted for the other candidates in the primary. And that sets the template for what happens in Democratic Party politics in Florida in the 1970s and 1980s, where you have these uh, people who finish second in, in primaries, then consolidate. Uh, support of the other candidates in a runoff. Uh, we saw it with Lawton Childs in 1970 against Ferris Bryant in the U.S. Senate race. We saw it uh, with Buddy McKay in the 1988 U.S. Senate race uh, where uh, he's trailing Bill Gunter badly and he consolidates support in that runoff and he gets the nomination. Uh, we saw it a number of other times. I, mean, I remember a congressional race in the Tampa area where Jim Davis, before the runoff was abolished, which was uh, for the 2002 election, but up to the 2000 election we had runoffs and Jim Davis in 1996 fall, finishes well behind Sandra Friedman, the, uh, uh, the uh, mayor of Tampa at the time, um, he, Davis, is the House Majority Leader, the last House Majority Leader. That's a Democrat. He comes back in the runoff, wins the nomination, then wins pretty easily in the general election in a seat the Republicans thought they could pick up. Uh, other examples, obviously, Bob Graham beating Bob Shevin in 1978. That's uh, epic, right? That's an epic comeback in a uh, runoff by Bob Graham, who... Uh, uh, had emerged from a field of uh, superstars, right? The 1978 Democratic primary for governor is 
probably the race of the most qualified people to ever run for governor in the state, um, just in that primary, in that Democratic primary. And uh, he becomes the Democratic nominee coming from behind in a runoff. But that's a history that begins with Odom almost pulling it off uh, in 1952, but ultimately Dan McCarty is the nominee and becomes governor. Yeah. So, um, and I, I do want to point out, um, as we talked about Odin doing, um, sort of trying to do that gimmick of radio, um, and he would sort of chase McCarty around the state trying to get McCarty to debate him, and McCarty would always refuse. So he would have these sort of um, mock debates where it was him talking, and then there was a chair for Dan McCarty who, you know, wouldn't show up. And it was just, you know, that he was trying to do this sort of symbolism, you know, that he showed up. Uh, Dan McCarty very much did what was sort of the traditional southern barnstorming. You know, they would have car caravans, and they'd go from city to city, and he'd come to the town square, and, you know, he'd, he'd wake them all up and get them, you know, fired, ready to go, and then he'd hop back in the car, drive 10 miles, do the same thing. So by the time he was, you know, nominated, essentially elected, because like we mentioned, whoever got the nomination was pretty much it. You, if you were a Democrat back then and you got the nomination, you just had to make sure not to kill somebody and you would, you would win. Um, even then, I think you might have still won. I don't know. But um, he was pretty much exhausted. And... He was a, a, a really bad chain smoker. I mean, there's stories that I've heard of him trying to convince voter by voter, you know, neighbors to, to pick him instead of Odin. And he would go in a room with them with a, a pack of cigarettes and they'd talk for, you know, an hour or two and the pack would be gone. He'd smoke 20 cigarettes in like an hour or two. So, um, you know, by the time that he is done, they do this sort of uh, caravan journey, which if you if you guys check out the documentary that we made, which you totally should on our YouTube channel, um, you'll actually see footage of that caravan that's going up and down the state. And so they basically did that, and then he went back home and uh, collapsed, basically. <laughs> you know, tried to recuperate a little bit. He immediately started uh, putting his uh, cabinet together, you know, the, the various uh, positions that he wanted to fill, the various positions that he wanted um, to be replaced uh, by some of the appointees of Fuller Warren that were less than scrupulous, we'll say. And um, he also opened up communications with Fuller Warren and basically started to mentally prepare himself. He did a little bit of campaigning in the fall, but not really. Um, then him and his family uh, went on vacation. Then he spent a lot of time in the McCarty cattle uh, ranch. There's actually a, a lot of uh, photos of him kind of looking like a, a dashing cowboy, you know, cowboy boots, cowboy hat. Uh, leaning on a, um, you know, a, a barbed wire fence or, you know, cooking with his boys and, you know, did a lot of fishing. He was a big uh, fisherman and hunter. And then 
when January came, he, or a few days before January, he packed up his family in the family station wagon, and they drove to the train station and took the train to Tallahassee. And one of the first things that he did as governor was him and the Collinses and a few others actually uh, traveled to Washington, D.C. for uh, Dwight Eisenhower's inauguration. But uh, for the for the most part, it was um, it was pretty much your standard. All right, try to breathe, try to get everything organized that most people do when they win. But it was pretty obvious that there was something off about him. That uh, he might have pushed himself too hard. He was uh, it was almost obnoxious how much how much he worked. He just, he was the stereotypical A personality workaholic. And by the time he got to the governor's mansion and actually got sworn in as governor, he pushed himself even further. So much so that um, in his first month as governor, he did the workload of about four months of Fuller Warren. And a lot of the older cabinet members were actually saying, you know, kid, you're going to burn yourself out. Because cabinet members were not term limited. So a lot of them had been there about 20 years. And they, you know, he was the, the fifth governor they had seen. And they had a pretty good idea about what a governor should do, much more than he did. And they were telling him, you know, you, you're exhausting yourself. And as we discussed, uh, they were right. So again, a shameless plug here, but Robert has written a fine, fine book, Finding Dan McCarty. Uh, I've contributed to the book in, in uh, interest of full disclosure, uh, writing a portion on Leroy Collins and uh, what I consider to be Collins taking the McCarty torch and running with it. Uh, in a way, I think McCarty would have if, 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 if he hadn't passed away in office uh, so quickly after becoming governor. Uh, and it was a big moment for, for um, forward-looking Florida, McCarty's election. Anyway, we will be back next week with another Florida History Podcast. I think we're going to do 1966 next week, which is the election of Claude Kirk, the first Republican to be elected governor in post-Reconstruction Florida, where he defeated the Democratic nominee, the very liberal mayor of Miami, Robert King High, who... Um, was the first real out-and-out liberal uh, Democrat to be nominated uh, in this state by the Democrats to be governor.